We are back, Kings of the Podcast, Season 2, Episode 31. And Dennis, as I say that, I'm thinking we should have had a goalie on the program today. 31, that's like a goalie number. That's totally a goalie number. Now, in the NFL, you can wear any number you want now, so I'm not sure you're going to be on board with linebackers wearing number 2. But uh, yeah, Episode 31 after uh, a lost weekend in Los Angeles, John. Yes, well, that could be the the name of the next episode. Uh, Dennis, we are coming to you today. This is going to be a really special episode. I have combined numerology and the name of the studio, DB. We are coming to you from the John Zeiler studio. Now, do you remember the name John Zeiler? It was only about 10 years ago that he was here in uh, in Los Angeles. I think I see how you're connecting the jo- the dots, John. Because if, if memory serves me, and sometimes memory doesn't serve me well, I believe John Zyla wore a number 73. He did wear number 73. And you know what, Dennis? This is not just a double combo. This is actually a triple combo. Watch this one. So Zyler and Tyler Toffoli, who is our guest today, they are the only two people to ever wear number 73 in an actual LA Kings game. Zyler, of course, was a fifth-round draft pick by Arizona back in 2002. Never played in the organization, though. The Kings signed him, Dean Lombardi, that is, uh, eventually, I believe, to a one-year contract. And in 2007... Uh, he ended up making his NHL debut against the Anaheim Ducks, DB. So as we lead into the Ducks-Kings game tonight, you get a triple connection with the number and uh, the name of the studio and against the Anaheim Ducks. So there you go. I'll, I'll tell you this, though, DB. He also only scored one goal. He played 90 games. He scored one goal in the NHL. Let's see. I don't know what the prize is that I'll give you, but I'll give you a special prize. If you can name the goaltender that he scored the goal against. Roman Czechmonic. Yeah, that's a good guess, actually. Uh, it was Roberto Luongo of the Vancouver Canucks. That's who John Zeiler. So uh, Zeiler went on to eventually play overseas and uh, not sure what he's up to these days. But, you know, after that one-year deal, Lombardi gave him an extension, I believe, Dennis. Uh, I'm not going to use my one text message, get out of jail free card with Dean Lombardi to ask him why he did that. But someday <laughs> when Lombardi comes on the program, we'll have to ask him for the reasoning behind the John Zeiler extension. Um, enough about John Zeiler, though. Moving right along to the other 73, Dennis. We're, we're very thankful to be able to get Tyler Toffoli on the program. We know that um, our listeners and Kings fans across the board love hearing from former Kings, and certainly Ty was one of the more popular members of the LA Kings over the last... Dennis, it's hard to imagine. It's been 10 years that he first came into the organization, drafted at, wow. in the uh, 2010 NHL draft, which just so happens to have 
taken place at Staples Center in Los Angeles. Tyler Toffoli came into the organization then. Uh, a couple years later, obviously, he ended up going pro. But by the way, he and Zyler crossed paths uh, sure. just for a couple of games because the next year after Ty was drafted, when his OHL team was eliminated, he went to Manchester for a couple of games, and that was Zyler's final year in Manchester. So they actually, the 273s, although they didn't both wear the number, uh, but Toffoli and Zyler would have would have crossed paths. Sure. And of course, eventually Toff uh, made it through Manchester himself, made it uh, to the NHL and uh, had a successful run with the LA Kings and then saw himself get traded to Vancouver and signed that free agent contract. Four-year deal, I believe, right, Dennis, uh, with the Montreal Canadiens? Yes. Yep, exactly. And uh, producing, you know, one of the top score, goal scorers in the league. So uh, maybe not shocked, but uh, pleasantly surprised that he's really And that for a team that read, it's just him and Josh Anderson that seem to be scoring goals for the last three weeks for that team that's going backwards as well in the uh, race. But all well then went and ends well. Look, I'm sure Tyler and his wife would have liked to be staying in Los Angeles and played, but he's playing in a great market and got a four year extension. So good for him. Yeah, knowing his uh, love for baseball and hers as well, of course, uh, would of all the cities, of all the markets, would not have pegged Montreal as the uh, landing spot for him. Maybe Chicago, you know, the Cubs, they have some good baseball there, a good baseball history. Maybe in New York or Boston, a team like that, or St. Louis. But uh, there he is in Montreal, and who knows? Maybe the Expos will come back uh, just just for Ty and, and his uh, beautiful With Tampa wife, Bay. So. There you go. Breaking news there uh, from, from Dennis Bernstein. Hey, uh, DB, a couple things to get to before we bring Toffoli here in for the second period. Uh, there was some breaking news earlier today. Sure. The NHL, the, the second shoe has now dropped on this TV deal. We, we've already discussed previously the uh, portion of the contract that ESPN and ESPN Plus, along with ABC, would end up televising. And now... After NBC was out, it looks like Turner Broadcasting has jumped in here and they're going to get the second half of the package. Yeah, I would have thought Fox would have been a natural, but Turner has been aggressive here. A couple different, you know, Bob McKenzie, if he's reporting, it's legit. And so is Elliot Friedman. He chomped in as well. So I think it's great for the uh, for the league. Uh, it's I'm not I'm ambivalent about NBC, John, because I think you and I have discussed this. I don't think really NBC did anything to, to change the paradigm with respect to how they covered it. Uh, the the sport or maybe introducing new names other than some players. They bring in some analysts that who are no longer working for for NBC. So I, I think it's a good move. But I wouldn't expect inside the NBA the equivalent to start off because you don't have characters like Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith that I know of that are former players. But I, I think it'll be a good move for it. And I know you questioned John which which actual network it'll be on. Because there are certainly other ramifications of the, of the programming both on, I think, TNT and TBS uh, with respect to how this lands next season. Yeah, it's sort of funny, DB. We had talked a few episodes ago about how pro wrestling ties into this whole story because originally you had the WWE who was on USA Network on Wednesday nights uh, and they said they were moving off of USA Network on Wednesday nights to clear room for the NHL games on Wednesdays. Since they shuttered the NBC Sports Network, they were moving all of their sports programming to USA Network and uh Really, what they were doing is they were trying to get away from AEW, their top competition on Wednesday nights, which just so happens to yeah. have been on TNT. And so WWE moved their programming to Tuesday night, <laughs> leaving Wednesday all alone to AEW as they had really crushed the WWE uh, in the Wednesday night wars, as they called it in the uh, the wrestling world. And now we're seeing that potentially TNT could be getting games. And so I don't know. I find it kind of humorous that 
if uh, AEW ends up then having to move to Tuesday nights, yeah. they're back in competition with uh, WWE. And so then would WWE end up moving back to Wednesday nights? It just it, it's it's funny how there could be quite a bit of shuffling. Now, of course, there are ways around this as well. ESPN could pick up the Wednesday night package or sure. you could put the Wednesday night package on TBS. You could go a number of different ways. But uh, sort of interesting that the uh, the president of WWE business side, not Vince McMahon, but the uh, the president of it over the last couple of days, he was kind of the one that. I guess, broke the news, so to speak, that, hey, uh, NBC is not in business with the NHL moving forward. And, and that sort of caught the attention of, of right. everybody. And, and so it's funny how wrestling was connected to, uh, to the NHL in this particular case. So, John, AEW is crushing WWE with the Spectre ratings? Oh, yeah. A yes, absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know, AEW was a, basically a startup promotion um, that was going up against WWE. And so Vince, as he's known to do, he counter-programmed it uh, by taking NXT, which was their third brand, off of the WWE network. And he put it on USA to um, basically squash the competition, which is something that he, you know, it's a, it's a calling card of Vince McMahon. It's something that he did quite often when Ted Turner owned uh, WCW back in the day, but it didn't work out well for Vince. Uh, AEW has crushed him in the ratings, especially in the key demo of the 18 to 34 and the 18 to 49 also, you know, according sure. to the uh, 18 to 34 being the younger demographic. AEW has done phenomenal DB in the ratings. They've been one of the youngest uh, they've had one of the youngest audiences on cable television every single week. So they're doing great from an advertising perspective with those demos. And so uh, it was a good thing for, for WWE to move their, their programming over to Tuesdays to get away from AEW. And they had the perfect umbrella to, to sort of make the move by saying the cover sure. story, by saying that it was NHL related. But that's why I find this whole thing sort of funny <laughs> is that now if AEW moves to Tuesday, sure. you know, it's going to create a, create a firestorm. Yep. So, uh, but it's, it's, you know what, DB, though, this is great. Uh, you know, one thing that probably hasn't been talked enough about is the streaming portion of this. Now, we talked about it with ESPN and how it's going to help ESPN Plus, yeah. which, of course, UFC did a tremendous job of helping launch that streaming service and hundreds of thousands, maybe even over a million subscribers join that streaming service just because of the UFC. You have with the Turner Broadcasting Company, you have Bleacher Report, which is their streaming mm -hmm. service. Uh, and they're trying to draw new subscribers. And so the NHL is going to have probably games there as well. And, right. and and with the younger audience coming from AEW, again, NHL brings a younger audience that should have a nice connection there on sure. their uh, their streaming platform on Bleacher Report. So I'm I'm very interested to see how that whole thing is going to going to play out. Yeah. And look, NHL targeted between, I think, six to seven hundred million per season with respect to their um uh, their goal for their rights, and they get there with with this package. So I think it's a it's a win for the league. And now uh, hopefully we can just get to an eighty two game season or eighty four. John, if you listen to Gord Miller, they could be eighty four games next season. So just hopefully we can get to uh, full building, full schedule next season when we start in the fall again. Well, uh, DB, I didn't happen to see that, but I will tell you, I'm very excited at the at the idea of an eighty four game season. If and only if they go back to the idea that we had talked about about a year ago on this program, I'm very much a proponent of neutral site games. I think it's a great way neutral to site. grow the mm -hmm. game. Uh, the NHL toyed around with it many, many years ago, going to an 84 game schedule where two of the games were played neutral site. And then when they eventually went back to an 82 game configuration, they still kept those neutral site games, but did them during the preseason. So I guess I'll ask DB, since I didn't see the report from Gord, is there been any discussion about the 83rd and 84th game, are they traditional buildings or neutral site games or what are they? 
I, I, it was just a tweet from Gord Miller, and there was no detail other than that, just than him reporting it on Twitter. So I don't know, but I, I agree with you. I think two neutral side games would be fantastic for this league with respect to how many different markets you could hit that aren't served by NHL teams. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, DB, just speaking of uh, neutral site games, I did report on mayorsmanner.com over the weekend for people that didn't see it. The Kings will be playing in Salt Lake City. They will be doing the Salt Lake shootout, which is in the preseason. That'll be in uh, probably late September. They have a new opponent, though. They played the Vancouver Canucks there the last couple of years. They're going to be playing the Vegas Golden Knights in the Salt Lake shootout, which to me makes perfect sense because Salt Lake City, you know, it, it's a couple hour drive away. But uh, if you're an NHL yeah. fan and you're living in Salt Lake, it, to me, it would be natural that you would be a, a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Yeah, I would think you would get their games locally. I assume that you that you would get that 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 would be the market that would be served by Salt Lake. And I, yeah, I think and now that you know Vegas Golden Knights, <laughs> those fans travel as well, so that's a nice neutral site. Not that uh, Salt Lake City is the the Miami Beach of the West here uh, with respect to a vacation destination, John. But I think it's a cool it's a cool site for a preseason game. It's also a good hockey town, DB. I was there in 2002 for the Salt Lake Olympics, and uh, you know they've had a number yep. of different minor leagues from the IHL to the ECHL, et cetera. There's been a lot of discussion. We've even talked about it sure. here in the program the about Grizzly. the AHL eventually getting there and, and whatnot. But uh, hey, uh, one other quick plug. Speaking of uh, articles online, Nelson Emerson was our guest last time on the program, Dennis. We talked with him about the four college prospects uh, in the LA Kings pipeline. And I do have an article coming out on LA Kings insider that'll be out on Tuesday with quotes from right. Nelson Emerson, Brock Faber and, and whatnot. And we'll be taking a look at that. So please, uh, everybody be sure to read, uh, read that article on, uh, LA Kings insider. Uh, I'm sure you'll be inundated with, uh, links to that via my various social medias. So there you go. Um, one last thing, Dennis, before we bring on Tyler Toffoli, can't wait to talk to Ty, see what he's been up to, relive a couple of Kings memories, maybe get a couple good stories out of him. Uh, but the big story among the LA Kings today, Dennis, is finally, officially, Quentin Byfield has been recalled from the Ontario Reign uh, up to the LA Kings, but, but, but to the taxi squad. So as of right now, yeah. he is not officially one of those four call-ups. He'll spend a little bit of time on the taxi before he eventually gets that call up and makes his NHL debut. My question for you, Dennis is what do you think is better for Byfield? Is it better for him to make his NHL debut as early as Wednesday, which would be a home game. However, he would have only really had one practice with the team. That would be on Tuesday, maybe a couple morning skates, but basically one practice, or is it better for him to debut say on Friday in Anaheim? Uh, and the only caveat that I'll put on that is that this is not a normal year. Mm -hmm. Like normally You'd have fans in the building. You'd have 15,000, you know, 18,000 fans in the building with with the yeah. limited fans in the building. Does it make any difference home or road for his NHL debut? What do you think? Well, for the guy who's been the advocate of hashtag play the kids all year, <laughs> I'm going to do a heel turn. I I would wait, John. I, I, I want I don't think it's advisable to have one practice with the big club and put them in a game. I don't think it serves anybody any purpose. If, if there's absolutely no rush and you're not going to you know, burn the first year of the ELC, give them a full week. If, if you want to play them the second game in Anaheim, the Saturday night game, I guess that would be that would be advisable. But I don't see any reason to throw them in on Wednesday night. I, I really don't. If, you, if you're going to do this development properly, give them time, give them two or three sessions with Todd and the team. And then at the end of this week or or next week, throw them in there. So th that's what I would do. Would I have a problem with them playing on Wednesday night? No. I just think that, and I agree with you, John, I think the pressure is much less 
uh, with respect to either 15,000 in Anaheim or here, whatever the case may be. So for me, I, I'm, I'm going to finally exercise some patience here, John, and say, uh, <laughs> give them a week to get acclimated to everything, you know, and, uh, you know, will, will they put him on a Zoom call? Who knows? But I, I would give him the week to just get, you know, get his feet on the ground and say, okay, and be prepped for his first game. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of uh, inside information here. From what I'm hearing, Dennis, sources say, I love that, uh, sources say Quentin Byfield will be made available to the media tomorrow. So clear your schedule. We will get some get some FaceTime with QB tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing for me because normally I would always default to having the player make his debut at home in front of the fans. And then I would even go so far as to say with right. everything that everybody has been through over the last 400 plus days, come on, man, let him debut at home. However, you're not talking about a full building of 18,000 people at Staples Center. And at the same time, you know, I right. love the connections. I sort of find it interesting to have him of debut, course. to have him debut in Anaheim, right? You have Andre Kopitar debuted NHL debut in Anaheim against yep, the Ducks, yep. scored a couple of goals. Like, Come on, let's 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 see if history repeats itself uh, and have him go in, you know, at the Ponda. By all means, I don't think there's there's no advantage to where he makes his debut this season. So whenever you think he's ready and prepared to play 12 to 14 minutes a night, maybe because, you know, I asked Todd about that today, John, with respect to how he deployed his centers, at least in the last game. Maybe it's just an anomaly, but he played Kopi 20 minutes and all the other three centers Jod, Blizzard, and Gabe all played 13 minutes a night. Is that how it's going to go, you know, look going forward? I'm sure he wants one player to emerge, and certainly he would hope it would be Velarde. Uh, so it's interesting of how many minutes he would get if he got into a game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think the preparation for and and the, the circumstances of this season make it unique with respect to a debut. Did you like the non-answer from Todd as well, basically saying that, hey, Kopey's the number one guy. He's going to get power play. He's going to get penalty kill. He's going to get the offensive minutes. The other three guys, yeah, they're in a dogfight <laughs> to figure out can one of them jump to the front of the line. I like that. And, and John, I think we can bring this up now. It's Let's make an assumption here. We've talked about the math other than the Swedish math from Adrian Kempe. Like, they're not <laughs> making the postseason. But, but John, what, what they can't and must not do is finish the season like New Jersey and Columbus and San Jose's finishing. They can't go in the tank. And I get it. Like, if they did lose a bunch of games here, right, they would get a higher pick. But you can't. I watch those teams play. You can't. You're going to undo a lot of the good stuff. And, and fans say, like, there's no, there's been no improvements. There have been improvements. But I think these are vital not for making the postseason, John. It's vital from how you finish the season, how this prep. Because you saw the my, my concern, John, is – you can't have any more repeat performances like you did on Saturday night. And I get it. Friday night was tough. Kaprizov dominated again. Talbot was great again in net. They they could have and should have won that game, 42 shots on goal. But they didn't offer much against Arizona. So to me, the important thing is not the wins, not the byfield thing. It's how this group of players faces the 11, last 11 games and how they play the games like they actually care. Because some of these teams have waved the white flag and they're just not performing anymore. Well, I think there's a correlation, DB, that you could draw back to last year. Look at the high. I mean, the, the games didn't matter, but look the, look at the high note that the team finished on uh, last year, or the run they were on when yeah. the season was pulled. And players were still talking about that. Coaches, you know, they were still talking about it. They were saying things like, hey, you know, it's a new season. We have to put that, be that behind us. And it was eight months ago. But during training camp, you could still tell that there was an excitement 
um, that they wanted to p- sort of pick up where they left off. They wanted to have that continue. So I think you you bring up a good point. You do want to finish the year with smiles on faces so that they go into the summer, they put the work in, they make the roster moves that are necessary, and there's some excitement coming into training camp to build off of, not just a, oh, here mm-hmm. we go again. Let's try to start over again from square one and then build out from there. Uh, it's not just about you know, being in close games, but actually finding a way to win some of those games and games that are games that should be on paper winnable. But DB Saturday night's game. You're right. We, we had penciled this in for the third period, but let's just keep it going. Um, Saturday night's game. Was that the sure. most disappointing loss of the season, especially with a little bit of recency bias in, in our heads? Because Friday night, they played well enough to win, even though they didn't win. You come back on Saturday. Was it the most disappointing loss of the year? Yeah, other than... I think you could put that with the first Anaheim game, John. I think it w- there was not much there. And and to some extent, maybe a little less disappointed because, again, the Friday game, if you win that, then you're still in the mix here. Like the Saturday game, maybe is like maybe some realities, you know, seeping in at this point in time with respect to the Saturday game. So I, I'd say a little bit less because um, I'd say the worst game in the season efforts-wise was the first Anaheim game. This is a close second but because they gave it all and, and they were close and they can't find a way to beat Minnesota either. I, I just think with respect to at, at the way they got dominated physically by Arizona, I think that was disappointing. Uh, but I, I would say it's probably the second worst one. I still think the first Anaheim game to me, that was puzzling, John. I could, I can give you a reason why they didn't perform on Saturday night. I couldn't give you a reason why that first Anaheim game, they didn't perform. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a pretty fair point. The whole weekend was interesting in the sense that the way that McClellan started Peterson in the back to back games and, um, you know, yeah. they, they, they played well enough to win on Friday, but they didn't. And, and and then Saturday, just, you know, like you said, was it the fact that the reality had started to seep in um, when they were clinging on for so long, even though if that was what happened, it, it flied in the face of uh, what McClellan said at the end, you know, Friday night, he basically said, Hey, look, yeah, we lost. It sucks, but guess what? We didn't lose any ground in the standings. And so tomorrow, and he even basically admitted tomorrow, meaning Saturday was the more important game because they were going up against the coyotes. So if you were the, if you were the players, you'd be thinking, yeah, it sucks that we lost, but Hey man, let's just come back on tomorrow. And, if we beat the Coyotes, then, you know, we, we are sort of mathematically still in the conversation. I don't know. Very, um, very, very per, uh, perplexing. But, Dennis, even though the standings didn't really play out the way that we said they would in terms of the Kings needing to beat Minnesota. Remember, at the beginning of the year, we were saying the most important mm-hmm. games yep. on the schedule were the eight games against Minnesota. And we felt that that was going to decide if they made the playoffs or not. We were thinking that was meaning that they were going to beat Minnesota to get the fourth spot. no. It, it didn't sure. because Minnesota flip-flopped with St. Louis, but ultimately those games kind of did make the difference uh, in terms of them not making the playoffs. If, if in fact they don't make the playoffs, not making the playoffs this year, because so many heartbreakers, not only the Friday night game, which they could have won, but you know, everybody knows go back to the beginning of the year, the games they gave away that ended up getting into overtime and all that stuff. It's just been a really rough series against the Minnesota wild this year for the Kings. Yeah. And the, uh, the game they lost in, with one second left in overtime when Dumba scored. So, yeah, it, it's been a a surprising outcome against Minnesota. But, John, I, I've said this a couple of times. It shows what happens when you put one dynamic player on a roster that was average and boring. Like, it's an entirely different look. He galvanized the lineup, because he's off. He's going to win work, Rookie of the Year, uh, despite his age, although he's only a couple of years older than, I think, Robertson in Dallas. But uh, it just shows you that, you don't necessarily have to be that far away, John, if you make some changes. And I'll tell you this, John, I'll go on the record right now. 
the way the the division lines up when it goes back to the normal alignment, there's no reason this team can't make the playoffs next season. Absolutely not. I, I think if you're going to give Edmonton and Vegas the one and two, right, and Vegas is a clear one, there's no reason why this team can't compete for the three seed and get the three seed next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quickly then, Dennis, as we move into the second period, you mentioned rookie of the year. Just have to ask your opinion. Sure. I personally, I could care less about the age rule. I think with all the other things that need to be fixed in the world, I don't want to hear about the fact that he was a five-year pro in the KHL or whatever. Like, big right. deal to me. He, he called her. He's the rookie of the year. It's the way the rules are written. This is just an absolutely silly, silly debate, in my opinion. Where, where, where do you stand on that? Well, you know, the rule change was because one of your guys, right? Madonna, because Makarov came in at 31 and won the call, won the call from, from Madonna. And some, and somebody brought that out up on Twitter and he made a sad face or whatever, <laughs> whatever emoji he used. Uh, yeah. This here's the thing, John, if you're going to use that rule with respect yet. to, uh, he played another pro league, then Austin Matthews wouldn't have won the rookie of the year because he played in the, in the Swedish league, in the uh, Swiss league. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem with it. I'm, I'm fine with that age requirement. I don't care if they play another, because John, you and I both know the KHL is not the NHL. And I right. can give you a long list of players who came from the K who didn't do well, like mm-hmm. Gusev in mm-hmm. Vegas, right? So sure. I, I don't I, I'll discount that. He deserves it. He's been the best player. He's been a game changer for Minnesota. He deserves it and he'll win it. Well, also, if you want to change the rule on the go forward, then have that conversation and change the rule. But you can't penalize the player. You can't make up the rules as you go along. He came into the season as a Calder candidate. So you can't change the rule (laughs) mid-year. Oh, some people, John. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's have some fun, Dennis. Let's wrap up the first period. Coming up on the other side of the break, Tyler Toffoli, former Kings draft pick, and uh, had a lot of success here with Los Angeles. He's going to join the program. We're going to talk memories, and we'll see what other fun stuff we can get out of time. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, second period, Kings of the Podcast, and we are excited today to be joined by, he's a former King, but uh, according to a lot of Kings fans, he still is near and dear to their heart, so we're happy to have on Tyler Toffoli. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. You know, Toph, I was thinking about uh, preparing for this interview, and it's crazy because you and I have been talking, I mean, not like on a daily basis, but I've been covering your career since you were drafted. It's been over 10 years now, which is crazy to me to think about that we first talked over 10 years ago. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's funny you said that because um, uh, having my birthday turning 29 yesterday uh, yesterday, and then um, it's Andy Andrew's 30th um, coming up here soon. So I'm um, talking to him a little bit and, and talking about how our, our first development camp was 10 years ago is pretty crazy. And I remember talking to you uh, in an airport one time when you were uh, with Team Canada for the World Juniors going to one of the camps. I don't remember if it was an evaluation camp or a summer camp or whatnot, but uh, I remember you were you were kind enough to talk from an airport. So it's been a long time, man. Uh, lots happened. <laughs> a lot of wonder under the bridge since then. And thank you for the Andy Andrioff, by the way, the dropping his name in there, the Golden Greek, of course. The two of you, <laughs> you guys loved your uh, your son. You loved tanning when you were out here in, in California. Those are one of our early stories that we did back on, on Mayor's Manor. Um, I would imagine you're not getting much sun these days. Uh, not not as much, um, especially in the middle of the, the pandemic here. Not a whole lot of 
leaving the uh, the apartment and and the hotel. So it's, it's definitely just been a weird season, and um, just trying to 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 go with it and, and enjoy it as much as I can. Now, let's talk about that for a little bit. Obviously, uh, now with the Montreal Canadiens, having a, a great season, by the way. You had your birthday, like you mentioned. Scored a goal and everything. So, uh, times are good. Over 20 goals for the season. Phenomenal year in what is a, a very strange season, this 56-game compacted season. But adjusting to life in Montreal, I was thinking about this. Having grown up a Canadian, but then really spending much of the last 10 years in Los Angeles, you became very... LA you you were a beach guy you you know you married a girl from California here and what's it like adjusting having to now going back and, and be a Canadian again and dealing with the winter and, and all that sort of good stuff yeah no it's it definitely it was di- uh different um I mean when we flew in obviously the season was a little later we flew in um snowing getting a rental car and driving in the snow again it's uh it, it was kind of funny we were, we were laughing about it and just saying um how we're going to have to get used to it. So uh, we've been enjoying it. It's, it's been awesome. Uh, like you said, my, my wife is, um, she's enjoying Montreal. She's walking around and, and getting to see the city. And um, as for myself, I mean, I know it a little bit, but with, with the amount of hockey that we've been playing, it hasn't been a whole lot of um, me being able to see the city. Now, uh, one of the other early stories that we did on Mayor's Manor back when you were in Manchester was about the nickname. And it's funny because there was a lot of traction uh, at the time that you were traded to people bringing up the nickname. So I, I'm curious, has Top Titty taken off? Is, is, it a, is it a thing in Montreal yet? No, I think I think that was that was more my younger days. I, I've grown <laughs> up. I've, I've grown out of it. <laughs> okay, so what's the new nickname then? What do the teammates call you now? Uh, just, just tough, uh, just kind of basic, uh, basic old man stuff. <laughs> old. Yes. Yes. You're an old man now. In the yeah. league. If you're an old man, what does that make Dowdy and Kopitar? Uh, grizzled veteran. <laughs> I love it. Um, recently, of course, we wanted to talk about you, but the timing of this is just interesting that you're coming on right now. And it's just been a couple of weeks away from your good friend, Jeff Carter being, uh, traded to Pittsburgh. And so I'm curious, like without giving away too much, but what type of conversations do you have with Carter? Here's a guy who normally your whole career, he's been giving you advice and talking to you and helping you and mentoring you and bringing you along. And then he's now going through something that you just went through a year ago. Was it, was it a a situation where maybe the shoe was on the other foot and was it a little bit strange in that sense? Uh, Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit. Uh, I think it's, it was, it was a little more difficult, um, for him because he's, he's got the kids and everything. Um, whereas for me, it was just my wife and my dog kind of packing up and moving right away and having, having no real, um, thought. So, um, I think, I think he, he was looking forward to it. I talked to him, I think the day after he got traded. So, uh, he was looking forward to it and, and going to a team that's playing really well. And, um, I mean, just back to playing, you know, the, the, the big important games, obviously, things aren't going that way or, or the way that the Kings really want. They're kind of still in that rebuild and, and they're almost there. They're, they're playing well. So um, I know Carson's looking forward to it and, and he's, he's had a good start there. Were you surprised at all by the trade? I mean, having seen the, the cup teams being dismantled back down to, you know, really the core players, it looked like that those five were going to stick around. Were you surprised or, or no, you thought if, if somebody was going to move, it might've been carts. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I have no clue. It's, it was one of those things where uh, I think the LA was thinking that if, if they could get some some good things back, that almost you know, anybody was 
was was available. But um, like I said, I I have no clue, and I'm just glad that Karch is is excited and and having fun and having a good start um, at his his time in Pittsburgh right now. Where's the dinosaur costume? That's all anybody ever wants to know. Did they pack it up and bring it with them, or did you guys pack it up and take it with you? <laughs> so, my uh, my wife got it for uh, for a Halloween costume, and she she was out of town or she was doing something and, and obviously it was, it was his daughter's birthday. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to go over. And I think it was, a, it was a unicorn themed birthday. I'm like, this thing is going to be perfect. And, um, my wife and, and, and Megan kind of talked and it was like, I wanted to, and I was almost kind of forced to do it as, as well. So I'm glad I did. Cause she, she loved it. And, and the other kids kind of had, had a good time. I, it wasn't on very long though. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> well, it was on long enough for the picture that went viral and that's that's all that really matters right so you put a quick <laughs> smile on the kid's face and then you, you get your clicks for it so that's good um yeah you w- let's go back to the trade and we'll, we'll hop all around here and talk about some king's memories and, and fans are really excited to hear from you and I, i'm curious about something though um after a trade sometimes people have uh different feelings about an organization or a city and they want to turn the page and all of that and you had this different experience than most players have in that so basically you know you had a whole year uh, almost a whole year to really you know move on because of the pandemic and everything and then you have this compacted schedule this year but where at the same time you can't do a lot just because of the protocols and things like that and so sometimes we'll hear guys say oh you know I don't really follow the old team very much but I would imagine you're pretty bored most of the time right because you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything so do you find yourself more connected to the to the hockey news in general right now or less connected because you just really try to stay away from it on your off days? Uh, I think, I think I'm more connected, um, in the sense of, yeah, the pandemic and also just being back in Canada where you have, uh, you don't have the football highlights and the basketball highlights anymore. Like, like back in California, it's all hockey. And, um, that's basically there's six or seven, you know, news outlets and all that stuff. So, it's it's one of those things where it's it's, it's on all the time and, and always talked about and um, at the same time I, t- I talked to a bunch of guys a bunch still too so I'm kind of checking in and, and seeing how they're doing and, and what's going on with them. So let's go back for to the actual trade then because that weekend in Colorado what a magical weekend it was for you but not only for you I mean the whole team that setting that outdoor game to me just had a different feeling. I mean, the game at Dodger stadium, it, it was built up to be great. The outcome wasn't that great. And then, you know, the game in, in, in uh, San Jose or wherever it was, Santa Rosa was a little different in, in, in and of itself being there in that big gigantic football stadium. But there was just something to me really magical, really picturesque about that time. Uh, and you seemed so happy, like after the game and even just at the practices and whatnot, smiling the whole time. But it, I'm guessing that you were wearing almost the weight of the world as well, knowing that a trade was very, very possible. How did you balance sort of the the emotions of, of what was perhaps to come <laughs> and living in the moment of that weekend and that magical experience? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it definitely was weird. We got there we got there a couple days early, and um, we had a dinner uh, with Mr. Anschutz and everything, and uh, it was just. Honestly, it was just fun. And like you said, I, I kind of knew that it was coming. It was how, however long, a year and a half, where I was kind of in the, the trade rumors or, or whatever. So um, just just having a lot of fun with it. Just had a couple beers at, at dinner. And um, honestly, it was, it was one of those things where, um, like you said, I was just 
I mean, as much fun as I could. And uh, the previous outdoor games, I I didn't really enjoy it. I, I didn't like the ice uh, conditions, any of that. Um, so going into the game, I, I didn't really have any expectations for it. And uh, it was one of those things where got a couple of bounces, uh, played well. Going into the game, I you know my, I thought my game was was in a great spot too. So I was feeling really confident with everything. And um, after the game, it was one of those things where it was like, like damn, I I feel like this could be my last game. And obviously it was, and um, it was emotional a little bit. But at the same time, it's no better way of kind of going out almost. Yeah, it's uh, there. Definitely was no better way of going out. I mean, so many to be the the first player to record a hat trick in an outdoor game. Uh, the whole thing was just uh, was just crazy. And it, it's funny too because we have these snapshots in time that we end up recording in our brains. And the smile of that you had on at the press conference after the game will be like forever etched into my memory. So you you leaving LA is always you smiling because of how happy you were after that game, which I guess is way better than, uh, you know, if it had come after, a, uh, you know, a 5 nothing blowout at Staples Center and we were trying to talk to you after the game that night. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I won't forget that either, just sitting there and, um, and they, they gave us uh, some pretty sick, uh, you know, hats and, and sweaters and everything. And I just remember wearing the, the Kings uh, toque and, Kofi beside me and it was just it was just so fun and uh, for all the all the stuff that was kind of going on the two three years um, whatever previously it just felt like none of that even happened and none of it mattered and um, you know life was life was great you said you felt that your game was in a good place sort of leading up to that and the offense seems to have taken off. I mean, you get to Vancouver, boom, more offense. You get to Montreal, you've been scoring at, at, a, at a crazy clip. What was it about the offense that's been allowed to sort of open up? Is it is it a byproduct of an L.A. system that is by and large, you know, defense-oriented? Is, is it just being with different coaches, different players? Have you had a chance to, to maybe put some thought into why that is? Uh, honestly, I don't really know. I think it's just one of those things where um, going to Van... I had a meeting with, with Travis Green and he said right away, he's like, you're, you're coming in and you're playing with, with JT and, and PD and um, we, we need you, you know, to score and play your game. And, you know, we got you for, for one reason. And then um, things were obviously, they were awesome. And, and I was very successful in the short amount of time. And then basically the same thing coming to Montreal, I, I talked with, with, with Burge in the summer and uh, he told me, what he wanted and kind of needed and um, things have just been going uh, like you say, like you said, uh, things have just been going extremely well. And um, on a personal side, it's, it's just been a great season for me. Well, it's funny because you, uh, you've always been an offensive, you, you were probably the, the most natural goal scorer that the Kings had drafted during the Dean Lombardi era. So you, you were projected to come in and people had crazy thoughts, right? You're going to be a 40 goal scorer, 50 goal scorer. You're going to be the next, this guy, that guy. Uh, but if I remember correctly, uh, you were breaking records for the most consecutive games in the OHL with the point. And then Dean Lombardi showed up. It's, it's actually funny. Yeah. I mean, Talking with Futes, I feel like Futes loves telling the story. It's like his go-to story, and I think I think I had I I can't remember if it was goals or or points, but I was just I was just on fire, and 
course, Dean comes. We're, we're in Mississauga playing. I think they're the, the majors or, or whatever they were. And now they're the steelheads. But um, Dean came. I think I was like minus four, minus five. I, I was absolutely dreading having to go see them after the game. And just I walk and as I'm walking, it's almost like Keith is smiling at me. Just like, it, it just happens. It's one of those things that just happens every once in a while. And uh, Pete is like smiling and Dean just, just staring at me. And, oh, I'll never forget it. I will <laughs> never forget that. What is it about Dean? He, he can be either like, I, I don't want to say a teddy bear, but he, he has two extreme differences, at least in my opinion. There's like the intimidating Dean where you're, you're afraid he's going to rip into you. And then there's the other one where he just wants to love and appreciate you and make you feel included in everything. Is, was that sort of your experience that Lombardi had the two opposite extremes? Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Dean loved, loved his, loved us, uh, his players more than anything. And um, when he was being hard on you, it was almost like uh, he was showing that he loved you even more sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things that he obviously he knew what he was doing and he, and he pushed us the right way and um, he got the best out of all of us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Kings had a, an, an experience recently at the draft that is with the with a story that reminds me somewhat of you because you were projected to be a first round player when you were taken at the draft uh, here in Los Angeles and of course the the knock at the time was on your skating which clearly you've improved uh, but the same thing now with Arthur Kaliev here's a guy who was projected to go in the first round and uh, a sniper like you an offensive minded player and people had some doubts about his skating did you ever happen to to sort of draw the parallels between the two of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen him in the summers and stuff because uh, obviously I'm I'm out there in the summer and in Hermosa still. So uh, he's definitely got he's got a hard shot. He's, he's got all the tools. It's just a matter of kind of putting it all together. And um, every once in a while, I see some clips of of uh, my development camps and stuff. And uh, you definitely can can see some some comparisons. So. I'm interested to see, and I'm excited, and hopefully he does well for the Kings because they're obviously really looking forward to him. Yeah, they're going to, a lot like when they drafted Utah, they're going to need some offense coming in the next couple of years, so it would be it'd be great to see him put a, a couple in there. Um, when you think back of your time in L.A., and I'm guessing that having all this time off over the last year coming into the season, maybe you had a chance to think about it. When you think back to your time in L.A., what are some of the key highlights for you? Um, Honestly, I think... I think scoring my first goal obviously is one of those things. Um, had had the the crown. I think it was the crown jersey on. Mm-hmm. I believe the the black and purple purple shoulders, whatever. Um, obviously, winning winning was is one of those things that you'll never forget. But just just the uh, the friendships and and everything. I it, I feel like it sounds really cliche, but um, some of the friends I've made. Uh, throughout the years and, and still to this day, it's it's incredible, and and I just it, I'm just so grateful for for my time and and the people that I've met and and the friends that I've made. We hear a lot of guys talk about how much fun they had when they were in Manchester. Was Manch fun for you or no? Uh, it's I, I, I've said it I've said it to guys before. We we had such a good group of guys there, and we all lived in that same apartment complex. Uh, I think it was it was Wheels. Uh, Brian O'Neill was my roommate. Um, Cleesher, Lyndon Vay, Baby, uh, Andy Pierce, 
Uh, I don't know if Bates is in that in, in that apartment complex with us. Okay. Uh, Rich Clune was in there. And we just <laughs> we hung out every single day. Played video games. Honestly, anything you could imagine, we, we were basically doing. And uh, it's one of those things where you don't want to be there. But like I said, the guys were so good that it made the, the time um, as enjoyable as as you could have. And then fast forwarding a little bit to, and then we're hopscotching around here, but the 50th anniversary of the Kings, your former coach, Jim Fox's former coach, which that's a story in and of itself. How did, how does somebody have such a long and, and, and great career that they were able to coach you and the juniors as well as coach uh, Fox? I'm talking about Brian Kilray killer, of course, but when he came to town for the 50th anniversary, did you guys have an opportunity to, to reconnect at all? I, yeah, I, I got, I got to see him and, and chatted a little bit, but, um, he was, he was clearly busy catching up with, with his old buddy. So, um, it's killer is, is an incredible man. And, um, obviously yeah, he coached me for the one season. Um, saw him around a lot more after that, but, uh, like I said, very grateful for, for him as well. Drafting me to Ottawa and obviously leading me to, uh, growing up, getting drafted and, and, you know, being successful in NHL. And I remember having a conversation with him at the time, in the, maybe the days, maybe even the weeks after you were drafted, and was asking him for some, you know, intel on you and a scouting report and whatnot. And you would play some center and wing, and he was like adamant about it that when you became when you became an NHL player, that you were going to be a winger. And I'm just curious, did he ever share any of those conversations with you, or or no? I, not not really. I just I remember um, coming there and basically the first day of training camp, you know, I was drafted as, as a center. I think I was. Uh, I was a high pick, like seventh overall or something like that. So I came in, I was like, oh, you know, I'm a centerman. Uh, I'm going to do this and that. And first day, I think I was, I was on the wing right away. Uh, <laughs> nothing, didn't hear anything or anything. Uh, but clearly he, uh, he knew something and uh, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm a winger and, and not a center, <laughs> not a centerman <laughs> in the NHL. I'll tell you that. Now, it's always struck me, and maybe I'm wrong, so I wanted you to clarify. It's always struck me that him scoring the first goal with the Kings wasn't necessarily something that he probably talked about. And, and maybe that had to do with the fact that, you know, he left L.A. and wasn't here very long. And, and so when you hear about, you know, the great Kings uh, from those early years, you know, you just you normally you wouldn't hear a lot about him. But I'm curious was it something that he talked about? Did he share stories, not necessarily with you asking, but was it something that he talked a lot about? Because he certainly seemed to be into the idea uh, at the 50th anniversary. And maybe it was like you said, maybe it was just reconnecting with his old buddies. Maybe it finally uh, stirred up some memories for him. I mean, I, I feel like that's just kind of what it was. I think the memories just kind of came back. And um, obviously he's had such a successful um, life. So he's, he's got plenty of stories and plenty of achievements and, um, that's gotta be one of, one of the bigger ones for him, but he's just such a humble, humble human being. It's, uh, it wasn't ever really talked about and he's just, you know, doing his thing. Yeah. I, humble is probably the, uh, the right word to use to describe him. A different one of your coaches, Daryl Sutter. What about Daryl? What's your, what's your favorite Daryl story? Uh, <laughs> Some I can't tell. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one the one that you're willing to share today. What's your favorite Daryl story? I I think one uh, one of the things I'll never forget is uh, Daryl basically yelling at me all morning one one day, just all over me, and I I 
finally I go home and <clears throat> obviously the, uh, one of the perks of living and playing for the Kings is being able to kind of get away. So we, my wife and I go for a walk and we're walking on the strand. And of course, who do we see is <laughs> Daryl, Daryl and, and Chris, I think it was just walking along whatever. And so I'm, I'm walking and I tell my wife, I'm like, Oh my God, we got to turn around. Like we, we, I don't, I don't want to see Daryl right now. He yelled at me all morning. She's like, no, just, just keep walking. You know, like I'll just, I'll say hello. So we walk and <clears throat> Daryl says, says, Hey, to, Hey, to cat. And looks at me, says, Ty, how are you? How was your morning? Like super casual. I'm like, I was like, didn't even, didn't even know what to say. If he was joking or what. Uh, but that's, that's definitely one that, that I'm not, I'm not going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's a perfect Daryl story. That is exactly something he would do. Uh, what about uh, your favorite Dowdy story? Every, everybody has their favorite Dewey story. Uh, Trevor Lewis came on the podcast and t- told a great one about uh, convincing him that when they were flying over Catalina, that that was Hawaii. Um, <laughs> just just un- unbelievable. Uh, my, my personal favorite is probably when he asked if, uh, if shrimp were fish, but what, um, <laughs> what's your favorite Dowdy story? Um, I think the stories about Dewey that I have, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> I don't want to talk about. All right. Uh, I think, I think just honestly, just, just walking, going to the rink every day and, and seeing him and just seeing the stuff that he, that he does and says, is just, is, is truly some of the funniest, funniest things ever. Um, I think him, him and Matt Green, because just, just the relationship that they had, mm-hmm. um, I think they got into an argument once and Dewey just refused to talk to Greener and, and they sat right next to each other. <laughs> so just, just see, seeing that, um, is pretty funny, but, uh, other than that, just, just hearing the things that he has to say every day and, and everything. I, I definitely, I definitely miss it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Matt Green to me is one of the funniest people that I've ever met. And he's also one of the the scariest people. We talked about Dean being intimidating at times, but I've told this story uh, many times. I'll never forget Matt Green. He gave me his phone number one time. And yet at the same time, he told me that if I ever used it, he would kill me. And and I actually believed him because that's just, you know, he says it with like this death stare and you think that he's joking, but he's giving you this look like, yeah, I'm not joking. And it's just something about Greener's uh, dry sense of humor. Uh, He's, he's, certainly one of the funniest people that, uh, that I've ever met. Definitely. He, uh, he really is. He, he loves you and he, he wants to take care of you. And it's, it's one of those, I hang out with him all the time. This summer, him and carts, we, we hang out all the time. Um, our wives are, are really close, but, um, to this day, if, if I ever get a, get a phone call from Matt Green, I'm, I'm thinking of what I did the day before and being like, <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> what, did, what did I do? What did I do? Yeah, your, your heart skips a few beats. Like, what's going on yep. here? <laughs> uh, exactly. Willie Mitchell, uh, we're hoping to get on the program here pretty soon. Um, and Willie, uh, my famous story about Willie, or favorite, I should say, is uh, you ask Willie Mitchell what time it is, and he'll tell you how to build a watch. Um, nobody <laughs> is a better storyteller than Willie Mitchell. Is that is that a fair uh, statement? I'd say, Mitchie, I mean, I put Greener up there, too. Greener and Scott, um, those three guys, um, seeing them, putting them in the same room, um, it was definitely, uh, it was a treat. Obviously, I was, I was one of the younger guys, so I wasn't really around them a whole lot, but 
I could definitely hear them talking in the back of the back of the bus or back of the plane, and and they they get going, and um, some, definitely some good memories and some good stories there. Just building off of that for a minute, and thanks for your time. I certainly appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll wrap this up here shortly. You, how does a younger player in a in a locker room full of so many veterans like that? I mean, the Kings are going through that right now, where they have those. I think you called them grizzled vets at the top, uh, but they have younger guys that they need to take that next step in terms of leadership and sort of taking a, a greater role off the ice uh, with the team. How does he when you when you think back to your time in, in your career? How does a younger player do that? Like, when do you flip the switch? How do you know it's time, you know, third year, fourth year, whatever year to speak up more, to be involved more, to make decisions, to have a voice, if you will? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's it's one of those things where, I mean, <clears throat> I think if you ask ask the guys that, you know, I've, I've played with, I'm not the most vocal guy, but um, I kind of just tried my, my best to be myself. And, um, I think for the young guys there, they just have to continue to be themselves and um, don't change the way they are to, to try and um, make yourself kind of more established or something like that because I feel like that's going to get in the way of, of their development and, and of their games. And um, I think, like I said, just just being themselves and, and going, showing up to work. I know I know Todd's doing a great job of, of making them compete basically every day. And um, he came in... Uh, you know, with the message of uh, there's going to be no messing around. And um, I'm positive that that's the same message going around this year. Now, last question then would be, have you, I mean, obviously a weird year this year, right? You're staying within the Canadian division, but you're signed to the Canadians long-term. Have you given thought to what it's like to play that first game back at Staples Center next season? Uh, I mean, not as much this year. I definitely thought about it, about it last, uh, last year with, with Vancouver and, um, I think we were gonna we were, we were gonna be going there, mm-hmm. and I I think the uh, I, I think the league shut down like maybe like a week or two mm-hmm. before I was going, and um, definitely one of those things where I wanted to come in and score six goals and uh, you know one of those storylines, but uh, we'll see when when the time finally comes, and uh, definitely be be weird. I think uh, a little emotional. I was talking to Marty a little bit. Uh, he, he he said the first time he played there it was weird getting getting dressed in the other locker room. So I'm sure I'll have the same feeling, and uh, I'm just excited. And I kind of I can't wait to be back to uh, a normal schedule and, and playing everybody again. What what would be better? Would it be better to have gotten that game out of the way this year without fans in the building, or will it be better? Do you think with fans in the building for you personally to go through that experience of dressing in the other team's locker room and you know playing a game there? I think I want, I, I would love to have the fans there. I think, uh, I mean, that's the best part. Uh, like you said earlier, I, I think uh, a lot of the fans, you know, kind of, you know, they miss me. They miss me being on the Kings still. So I feel like it'll be a warm welcome. And um, hopefully that's what it will be. And I guess we'll see when the time finally comes. 
I have a feeling it's going to be a very warm welcome. Kings fans do miss you. They miss you uh, on the team. They miss seeing number 73. They have fond memories of your time here. And really, Kings fans had an opportunity to watch you grow up having been drafted. Very special moment in Los Angeles and then growing up with the team, of course, and having the success that you did and uh, ending it with uh, quite the exclamation point there with the, the hat trick at the outdoor game. Toph, it's been awesome to have you on the program. We certainly appreciate We wish you and Kat all the best in Montreal. And uh, I guess we can't wait to see you here next season when things get back to normal. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Tyler Toffoli there. We'll be back after the break and talk more. Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim up safely and efficiently. I'm talking about your private yard, not the yard in front of your house. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code K-O-T-P-N-E-W to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. As we've talked about plenty here on Kings of the Podcast, Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Manscaped have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're here to help us and they're here to help you. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. They also have the Crop Preserver, their anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, guys. Now is the time. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, which is their spray-on toner. will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And don't forget the new, refined Cologne Signature Scent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. Smell good, feel good this spring. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby. Get to it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, Tyler Toffoli, DB. Uh, it was great to have Ty back on the program, sharing some stories there about Dean Lombardi, talking a little bit about Drew Doughty. We can never get enough Drew Doughty stories on this program, Dennis. No, no, no. We can't get enough drawing with Drew at the uh, at Staples Center, even though there's not a, <laughs> a lot of people to, to watch them these days. But uh, yeah, no, a great get by you, John, and great uh, one-on-one with Tyler. He's had a great season for, for Montreal, and one of the reasons uh, they're holding a the four seed right now. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see uh, next year when the Canadians come to town and hopefully the, the building will be full, the type of reception that he gets. So it was interesting to get his perspective on, you know, w- whether he would be coming sure. to Staples with an empty arena or whether he, there would be uh, fans in the building. Hey, uh, DB, before we wrap things up here today, a couple of other final notes. Did want to get back to the whole call-up situation um, because there was a lot yeah. of confusion over the weekend about Leah Anderson being called up. It ended up being an emergency call-up, which means that he didn't count. Um, but I, I just wanted to provide some clarity because I did a lot of digging on this and there were some interesting things that I found out. Number one is 
we had talked earlier about the fact that Kale Clegg was one of the official call-ups. He was the first official call-up. And so that does right. make him eligible to go back down this year. Like, for example, Matt Luff was on the NHL roster, he, and so was uh, Christian Willannon. So they can't be sent down because they were on the NHL roster. But because Clegg was a call-up, he can go back down to Ontario. But check this out, DB. Uh, what I found out was he's not allowed Clegg to go up and down as many times as he wants. In other words, if they send him, if they send Clegg down to Ontario, then that ends the right. call up essentially. And so if they want to call him back up again really? a week later, that counts as another call. It's up. another call. Up. Yeah. Wow. Which, which that's interesting because that sort of explains why they haven't sent Clegg back down. Right. Because when Roy was healthy again and when everybody was able to come back in the lineup, uh, Bjornfoot as well. And now they're carrying what uh, nine defensemen, eight or nine defensemen on the NHL roster. I would have assumed, Oh, they'll send Clegg down to the Ontario or down to the AHL down to Ontario rain and let him play. Why just keep him in, in LA? Well, there's your reason because if they were to send him down, then basically they're saying, he's staying in the American league for the rest of the year. Because again, if they were to call him back up a second time, it counts as just that it counts as a second call up, which in other words, burns one of their four slots. Sure. So that is uh, sort of interesting. The other thing that's interesting DB and you know, I love the details. So uh, just trying to share and educate here, this whole emergency <laughs> call up. One of the things that I was sort of perplexed by over the weekend was, well, hold on a minute. If they have three available call ups, why are they allowed to use an emergency call-up? Because in my mind, it should be a little bit more linear, right? Emergency, in my mind, should have right. come up sure. after. It's like, dude, this is not an emergency. You have an available call-up. Just call somebody up. And then, you know, if you run out of call-ups, then you would have an emergency call-up. And what I have found out since then in uh, doing some digging is that, no, emergency call-ups are on a separate track from the regular call-ups. They're unrelated, um, and they come with very specific sort of rules or nuances to them. So, for example, and I'm not naming any players here. I'm just giving an example of Leah sure. Anderson. When Leah Anderson was approved as an emergency call up, there are certain players that he is a, that he is designated as an emergency replacement for. So, in other words, the Kings on Saturday morning knew that a couple players were banged up and might not be available to play on Saturday night. Um, so what they do is because they have to submit the rosters by two o'clock in the afternoon, they had to activate Leas as an emergency player, not knowing whether they were going to play it. him or not. And then Todd has the flexibility within, uh, you know, warmups, if you will, to basically prepare his final roster. But here's the thing. Leas can only go in or could have on Saturday night could have only gone in for certain players, the players that were designated as being banged really? up. Yeah. Wow. So. And I'm, so I follow, I don't believe was one of the players. I think it was a bottom six player, or a couple of players that were banged up. I could be wrong, but my just go with my example here. So if they submit, sure. let's say that the, that the injured players were, you know, whoever they were Lemieux, Grunstrom, and uh, I don't know, pick a third one, Austin Wagner. I'm just making this up. He, uh, right. If Anderson was to play in place of those players that were banged up, then it counts as an emergency and it's fine. However, if let's Got say I follow wakes up, you know, uh, after his afternoon nap with a, you know, stomach ache and, you know, food poisoning or something. Sure. If Leas Anderson, who was on an emergency call up, goes in for him, then it's no longer an emergency call up. It then becomes a regular, a regular call up. Call up. 
that is very nuanced <laughs> to right That's i mean very, <laughs> first i've ever heard of it and i've covered this sport forever yeah right? so so That's I, interesting wow yeah pretty fascinating and and then the other thing that i found out because i just was asking as many questions as possible to to wrap my head around this is that the emergency call-ups are all sort of individual in nature meaning that there's no cumulative effect meaning he was an emergency call up for that game and then it sort of ends and it's over with because uh the other players were deemed okay to play and they played or whatever right and they can though tonight sure. they can call up leah sanderson on an emergency call up again if they wanted to he can right. play or not play and then you could have another emergency call up in two games from now. so really leah sanderson could be used as an emergency call up as an as an example five times between now and the end of the season and it has nothing to do at all whatsoever with regular call-ups it's not like there's any sort of a limit they're all sort of dealt with on an each individual emergency basis if you will so i don't know i found uh, i found it all to be sort of fascinating when you when when you dig into it db that is yeah that okay. is i guess that, and and how does the league verify that these players are i guess they have to take it on their word uh that i that i don't know um, uh, certainly the league is very much interested uh, on, on verifying long-term injured reserve. I mean, we saw that coming out of the general manager's right. meetings, right? A very stern warning to sure. certain general <laughs> managers. Hey, you better not be trying to circumvent the cap, the cap this year. And then all of a sudden game one of the playoffs. Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't going to give it away there, but uh, yeah. Uh, so, so the league, and we've heard this before as well, though, too, we're like, you hear fans sometimes say, "Oh, why don't you just put that guy on IR for a week?" You know, and you know, well, the league takes that yeah. pretty serious. Like, I don't know what they do exactly to verify certain injuries or what type of paperwork mm -hmm. you have to submit when you when you put a guy on IR. But um, for the integrity of the league and rosters and salary caps and competitive advantage and all that stuff, it, it is not something that is just merely you know send them a fax and changes change his status I, I, right i think it's uh i think it's a little more right. a little more than that a little bit more intricate than that for a little sure. more intricate thank you very much um hey on a lighter note db since we didn't get to talk about it uh previously in the first period when we were talking about fans coming back into the building um let, let's really push our luck here you know we're one for one on giving the la kings some great marketing suggestions uh as kelly cheeseman came on the program recently and told us he he took my advice and added that reverse retro game which the kings will be playing the ducks here's another one dennis yes. how about this one you could have had this great marketing opportunity they keep telling everybody to wear masks to the game and they're showing the the uh, public service announcements and the videos and whatnot they could have come up with they still can there's time they can come up mm -hmm. with like a a special limited edition mask you know like they do uh, bobbleheads and all sorts of giveaways in limited editions and it could be like a little yeah. staple center i was one of the first fans back in staple center or something uh they could give them away to the fans that that do come to these final uh whatever the number of games are that are left i know three have already happened but they could give them away at the games that'd be kind of cool as a as a giveaway i think people would like that jay what they should do we should tie in kings of the podcast the last game of the last home game in the season they should give those masks away and then the first home game of next season we'll have a burn the mask king of the podcast party <laughs> because everybody will be healthy and we'll all be vaccinated how about that i thought what you were going to say that's a great idea but i thought what you were going to say was they should give away kings of the podcast masks at the last home game this year uh which i think is <laughs> let's see it was going to be on the eighth and they i guess it's the 10th now may 10th against the uh st louis blues so st right. louis so if yeah. you uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you are a mask provider or you make masks, uh, we would like to get uh, a thousand. We'll do a limited edition, a limited run, DB. We're going to do uh, 500, yes. 500 
of the Kings of the Podcast masks. Hit eat, hit us up on Twitter. Get a hold of Dennis or get a hold of myself. Uh, DB, one final just, note. Then, just oh, go ahead. Wait, man, just text Hammer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Collab. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was trying to give me one of those orange flannels, and I just wanted no part of that. I can't. I can't wear. The, I love VG. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I wear VG twenty four seven, but I'm not wearing the orange flannel. Okay. <laughs> Call Caltrans, you know, get me a job. Um, you got it. <laughs> hey, uh, before we leave here today, Dennis, I do want to mention, even though that Quentin Byfield has been recalled to the taxi squad and uh, he's part really more of the Kings now than the Rain, uh, let's not forget that the Rain, the Ontario Rain, still do have eight games remaining this season. And there is plenty of excitement related to the Rain because Alex Turcott is still down there. Arthur Kaliev is down there. Kaliev, by the way, DB, he is leading the right. team in goals and leading the team in points. I would have taken a bet with you if you would have offered to bet me in preseason yeah. that with eight games remaining, that Kaliev would be leading in goals and leading in points. I would have taken that bet. So uh, I'm very happy for Arthur Kaliev. We do have an article up on mayorsmanner.com sure. with Coach Robleski. He talks about Kaliev and his 200-foot game. He talked about Turcotte. All these guys, Dennis, they're fighting for the final couple of call-ups that are left here with the LA Kings. And... I, I, you know, yep. I, I, I think it's going to be Turcotte and uh, probably Akil Thomas. I don't know. Nobody has told me that. That's just my guess. It could be Fagamo. It could be Jersey. It could be any number mm -hmm. of guys. But this is what I want to know. When these other call-ups take place, will we ever get to see a couple of the kids in the same game? Or is it going to be like an alternating thing, right? Because Byfield's only going to play a maximum right, of right. six games. And what, there's like 11 games left sure. or whatever. So uh, will we right. ever see Turcotte and Byfield in the lineup on the same night? And then my next question would be, well, are they going to play on the same line? Like they've played Kaliev and Byfield. They played quite a bit together lately. Yeah. Would they end up playing on the same line? I mean, you want to talk about play the kids, DB. Can you imagine two of them on the, on the <laughs> same line in the same game this year? You, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. I wouldn't. I would just, I would leave the building. Uh, they would have the puck drop. I couldn't handle it. I'd be out in the, outside at the food trucks at Staples Center. I couldn't, I don't think I could handle that pressure. But uh, John, isn't the point of like, if you're going to bring them up and they're going to play in a game that you play them together, wouldn't that be the whole point? Dennis, if, me, there was, if there was, the logic ever, follows. if there was ever a year where I, I can't figure it out, this is the year. Uh, yes. In a, norm, <laughs> in a normal Amen. season, your, your train of thought would seem to make sense to me. Um, if you want to, if you want to make a player feel comfortable as he's trying to break into the NHL. Uh, yeah, you could pair him with a vet, right? You could put somebody with a Dustin Brown or a Kopitar and, you know, you'd give him give him the rub that way, uh, or you could potentially put him with somebody that he's played 20 games with this year and have him feel comfortable that way. That, that would make sense to me, but I'm not Todd McClellan. I, I know it's, it's this hockey ops is one thing, but how about giving the fans a taste? Like if you've been talking about these players for a couple of years now, like give them well, one guy you just drafted this year, give them a taste. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Especially in a game where it's, if you've been eliminated already, Give them a taste for next season. Don't you want that from a marketing perspective? And I guess, you know, Todd would have to defer to the organization to do that. But I think that would be that would be you talk about going out on a high note, John, or, or, or raising expectations or, or being positive, like play the whatever kids are going to play in that game, play them together. All right. So there you go. Uh, on top of the masks that we are now uh, suggesting the organization should do, we want them to play the rain line, which has been Turcotte, Byfield, Kaliev. Yes. There you go. So Turcotte, Byfield, Kaliev, play that line in uh, one of the final home games of the year this year. Watch the fans go crazy. Social media engagement would be through the roof. Dennis, you would tweet play the kids at least 20 times. It would be uh, it would oh, be phenomenal. Forget it. 
Every and, time and, they stepped on every, for every shift, John, it would be play to kids. <laughs> you might even live stream it through the through. A, does Periscope still uh, exist yes. within your Twitter video? <laughs> I don't know if broadcast, I, I think that uh, I'd have to secure the rights yes. from Bally Sports for that one game to live stream it. <laughs> might be but possible. it would be worth the money, Joe. <laughs> it might be possible. Uh, the other thing. Investing in racehorses, I can invest in uh, in rights for one night. Okay. Hey, congratulations, by the way. You had another horse that uh, he finished third in, uh, in the race the other day. He finished third. But yes, but John, what you don't know is that I, I bought 5% interest in a in a pacer, in a, in a uh, standard bread. Oh boy. Over the weekend. And you'll love the name, John. Oh, boy. It's a, it's a Maryland bred horse. Hillbilly Camtastic is the name of the horse. I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> is the horse running at Santa Anita anytime soon? You're all in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's running in Maryland. I think at Rosecroft Raceway or maybe Freehill, one of the uh, Trotters tracks. So it's one of those ones with the sulky and the harness. So, uh, but we. Uh, oh, like we, Los we Alamitos. Microses, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm so. Yeah, like Los Alamitos, like exactly. So, or like um, Cal Expo up in North NoCal, as you would say. So, yeah, these are the ones with the sulky. So, we we purchased the horse for five five percent of the horse, and we'll see how it runs. So, we'll see. All right. Well, there you go. the uh, The ones that I invested in DB, uh, they're, they're, they're they have not run yet. They're still like a year or so away. So, I, I just keep all I get are the emails of like here are the pictures yeah. and here are the videos, and so. I don't have anything to announce yet. Uh, I, you know, your your oh, stable you is running my, my away. Racehorse? Yeah, I, I I thought I told you this. I didn't I, know that. Now, oh, oh, beautiful, fantastic. I I, 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 had, yeah. I I bought into like one of the packages of uh, I, I don't know six, eight, ten horses. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, it was. Two year olds. Yeah, and then they. Yep. Uh, yep. Oh, then they fantastic. Had a, they had a contest to uh, name the horses, and you were able to submit name them. Yes. Yeah, and I I yeah. submitted some names, uh, but unfortunately. None of my myriad of combinations of uh, mayors and mayors manor worked. They didn't. They didn't take any of them. So <laughs> they didn't accept. They didn't. No. Since we're talking about this episode, John, they didn't accept top titty either. Uh, they they did not. They did. You know, Kopitar had a horse uh, for a while. I saw that horse run at uh, at Santa Anita. Beautiful yes, horse, by yes. the way. It's a gorgeous right. horse. Exactly. Uh, gray yeah. one. But yeah, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, nobody. Nobody stepped up and had a Toffoli horse, but maybe, maybe I should have submitted that name instead because like uh mayor's mayor, you know, that didn't, that didn't get approved. So yes. Oh man. <laughs> maybe next time, maybe it's next awful. time. Uh, but Dennis, next the other thing right. I was going to mention with the Ontario rain that, that is a, a point of excitement yes. is that Martin Chromiak, who was another draft pick from uh, the LA Kings 2020 crop. He was in the world juniors. He played overseas and he has now joined the Ontario reign. He's going through protocol right now. The hope and the plan is that he is going to clear protocol um, in time to travel with the team to Colorado. They're uh, going to begin a, a three game set. I think they play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday in Colorado against the Eagles. Uh, Derek Armstrong, of course, he coached the uh, the Colorado Eagles a number of years ago. But uh, yeah, the, the Ontario yeah. Reign will be in Colorado for for three games, and we might get to see Martin Chromiak, another one of the Kings uh, prospects. It'll be interesting to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, I'm excited about that kid. I like that kid and all the reports of the video I saw on him. And so it's got a little bit of touch, a little bit of jam around, and that'll be nice to see if he can get in those games. Yeah, he, uh, of course, played his earlier career in Europe and then came over to the OHL midseason and and really lit up the OHL. And uh, critics will tell you that it was because he played with two great line mates, uh, but that didn't really seem to be the case because he's been productive in other areas as well. So it'll be nice to see uh, him in the, yep. in the American League. The only question would be, is he going to have enough time 
to adjust because some of these kids, when they first get to the American sure. League, you know, they need 10 games and he's going to have at most eight games left. So we'll see how quickly he can adopt. But either way, it'll be good for him to be around a pro environment, be involved in the Kings development system and get a little bit of a taste. And then, you know, he'll go to uh, hopefully development camp later this summer. DB, that's going to wrap it up for another great episode. Kings of the podcast. Thank you again to Tyler Toffoli for joining the program and sharing some stories with the LA Kings. Uh, play the kids, right, Dennis? Play the kids. Play the kids every day, John. Let's go. All right. We'll talk to everybody later this week. We will be back soon with another episode of Kings of the podcast.